I think teachers have a whole lot to say, Michelle. And yeah. the opportunities that you're providing people are just amazing. So, you know, it's easy, I think, for you to give a, a bunch of credit and props for those people who you asked to come uh, interview for whatever reason. But, you know, you're doing great work. So I really oh. just want to say I appreciate you for the work that you're doing. Oh, thank you so much, Andy. That was that was really thank you. I appreciate that. I really do. I am truly sort of interested in in people and and what they're doing. And and like you say, so many people have so many good stories, and they have they're just doing such good work. And it's neat to be able to highlight it, and it's neat to be able to kind of take a view into different people's classrooms because I think we learn so much from each other. Mm, absolutely. Welcome to Design Lessons, the podcast where we design our teaching days to be fulfilling for us and irresistible to our students. I'm Dr. Michelle Schmidt-Moore, and instructional design is my superpower. Each episode, we will take actionable steps to create great teaching days. We'll focus on mindset, real-world opportunities, and critical and creative thinking for us and our students. So whether you're on your commute to school, walking your dog, or doing the dishes, Let's start designing. Hey, designers. Before we get started with our conversation with Andy Schoenborn, who is the co-author of the book, Creating Confident Writers, I'm extending an invitation to you to be a guest on Design Lessons. If you're interested in sharing your story of the work that you're doing with your students, whether it's within your district or your school or your classroom, Go to michelleschmidtmore.com slash be my guest for more information. And I'll put that link in the show notes as well. Now you're really going to enjoy this conversation with Andy. He shows us through the work that he's doing with his students, really how to stretch yourself professionally. He also gives us ways to get to know our students without using icebreakers And he really shows us through the work of his student, Kennedy Griffin, the power of the words we say, as well as the words we write. And there's so much more. So let's get started. Uh, Well, my name is Andy Shinborn. Um, I've been teaching, gosh, now, I'm not one of those teachers that keeps track of how long I teach. So Mm -hmm. I think it was, I think this is my 20th year of teaching. That makes me feel older. But that's okay. <laughs> this is what I should say. Um, there you go. And I've had kind of an interesting, an interesting ride in teaching. I would say um, mm-hmm. I began by um, being told in my final uh, letter from student teaching that I should um, that I shouldn't be a teacher. That I didn't have uh, what it takes to be a teacher. Wow. And I should consider another uh, profession. Um, and that has stuck with me for a long time because it's the one thing that I've wanted to do once I settled on it and to hear feedback like that, um, after a pretty rocky student teaching experience was something that, um, it hurt a lot, you know? Yeah. So at that point, um, I decided that I wasn't going to let others, uh, make the decision and how my, how I would live my life. Yeah. I decided to go about things in different ways. And so because of that, um, I took a teaching job in uh, Metro Detroit area in Michigan. I was Mm -hmm. offered two teaching positions. Actually, I was actually offered a position to teach uh, general education English and special education English. And um, 
I opted for special education. Mm. And I, I remember that the person in HR at that time told me I'd make the biggest mistake of my life. <laughs> he told me that because of that decision, I would never get out of special education. And I responded back to him saying, no matter what class I teach, whether it's special education, general education, college level classes or honors level classes, there will always be students with special needs in my class. Yes. It's not about getting out. It's about trying to service as many students as I can to the best of my ability. And so for 10 years, I taught in the special education realm. I taught resource room, taught lots of different kinds of classes. Um, got a master's degree in emotional impairments and learning disorders. Mm. And, um, and after about 10 years of doing that, the bureaucracy of everything kind of got to me. It wasn't the kids. It wasn't the teaching. It was sort of this unneeded red tape that always gets kind of in the way of, I think, yes. what students, new to, students with special needs need for themselves. So um, I, I went in, I ended up getting hired um, as a general education teacher as well, and have been doing that for the last 10 years, I guess now. Um, mm -hmm. And even with my AP kids, I'll tell them every once in a while, you know, um, I'm still teaching students with special needs. They look at me like sort of funny. And I said, because all that means is you have needs that are differing than the general population. Yeah. It doesn't say how it's differing. It's just said differing to the general population. And everyone you know, has. We all do. Yeah. We all do. You know, we don't need to categorize things and put things in buckets. But um, I, I decided after I did that for a while, I wanted to um, get more involved and work on my writing. Mm -hmm. um, and so I joined the Chippewa River Writing Project, which is an affiliation of the National Writing Project um, and uh, run by uh, Dr. Troy Hicks. And I've done that for 10 years. Um, I wanted to get more involved in speaking and in just sharing and giving back. Um, so I got involved with the Michigan Council of Teachers of English, which put me on a whole different path that I didn't anticipate, which eventually led me to uh, becoming president of the Michigan Council of Teachers of English and now uh, past president, which is great. Uh -huh. um, yeah. And then now I'm on the executive board for MRA and have been book out <laughs> in June, just a whole lot of different kinds of things. But if I were to think about the common thread that pulls all of these things together, mm -hmm. that common thread is I really try my, I, I love to learn. I just know that. I love to learn. I like to challenge myself. I like to meet people. I like to work with people. And I like to give back as much as I can, um, as often as I can. And all of those different, whether it's the writing project, whether it's MCTE or NCTE or Reading Association or Teach Write or Here With You, it's just another opportunity uh, for me to give back just a, just a small small piece of myself to a profession that has given me so much. And that says so much about who you are, Andy, you know, in terms of, you know, I think we as educators and I think we look for how can we help, how can we meet kids where they are and then how can we take them to sort of the next step. But, you know, when you're talking about this person right after you took your, um, you did your student teaching and this person saying to you, I don't know if this is the career for you, but it was something that you wanted. It was something that you felt strongly about and you moved forward and you did it. That says something about your perseverance. But at the same time, it says something about the person who said that to you as well. Right. So it, the, the, the power of our words um, is kind of something that we have to watch as educators um, 
in that when you say something to someone, you don't know how long they're going to carry that, whether it's something you say that's positive or something that you say that might be critical. Um, so thank you, I mean, so much for coming and, and sharing about your journey and, you know, your interactions with your students and the, your, also your interactions with other educators. Well, thank you for inviting me. It's a pleasure to be here and have a chance to speak with you, Michelle. So we are in a very special time in, I think, history. Um, you know, we, you think about your grandparents and they talk about the d- depression. And then in 2008, 2009, you know, a lot of us live through the recession. Um, and clearly now with schooling, um, everything being uh, kids are coming back to school in so many different ways. They're coming back as distance learners are coming back in hybrid, they're coming back, you know, purely face to face, but it, you know, seems very different from the everyday school that we've had for so long. You know, how has starting this school year been for you? Um, what have you sort of, you know, given that you have so many different ways of coming back to school, um, what are ways that you are able to kind of start the build community? I know you just started back at school. What are some ways that you're building community um, with your classroom? How are you connecting with your students? Well, one of the first things that surprised me was, and maybe I shouldn't have been surprised. I'm not sure. But when I didn't know exactly how students would react to coming back to school, but they missed it. They missed mm. us. They yeah. missed each other. They, they missed they missed being in that environment um, to learn. And so what I, what I chose to do, and I began every day uh, with a poem in my class anyway, uh, we mm-hmm. don't necessarily do much with a poem, but we begin every day with a poem. And um, whether I was teaching in a high flex model, uh, a hybrid model, or a distance model, which is three models I'm all teaching in right now, wow. uh, we, we began with um, Jason Reynolds' poem i think it was published maybe two or three weeks ago at least on youtube it was um, okay. called for everyone and mm. after watching that for a little while i realized that jason's saying something well to us i know it's, it's in the title but he's asking us as dreamers and when you call somebody something like you mm. call somebody a dreamer you start to hear that enough and you begin to believe that maybe you are if mm. I call somebody a writer, if I tell them that enough, they might begin to believe that they are. And the same with a reader. And the same works with, you know, words with a negative connotation too, but trying to spin things in a positive connotation for the students in my, in my room. And that's part of how I build community with them. Mm. Um, I just said, there's nothing we need to do uh, with this poem. I just want you to listen. And mm. um, we listen to the poem. And after the poem was done, or at least a section of it, I asked them to put their fingers together and snap along with me. You can probably mm-hmm. hear my snaps. I it's love just that. a simple little celebration. And I tell kids as I'm snapping, please give it a try. Um, I know it's going to feel weird. It's going to seem weird. You don't do this in your other classes. But we're not giving snaps for whether we liked the poem or not. We're giving snaps because it exists. We're giving mm-hmm. snaps because we're honoring the words that somebody, in this case, Jason Reynolds, was brave enough to share with us so that we might be brave ourselves, too, to share. Um, and so after we listened to the poem on the second day, we listened to the second part, it kind of struck me that what we should do is some writing with it. So I had students write down for, for two minutes, and I wrote down with them. I used my high flex cam, and I wrote with them. 
And it's just whatever, whatever you're thinking about, if there's a line that sticks with you, if there's something in there that, that um, you find to be interesting, pull it out. And then we shared a few of our lines. Um, these are, uh, these are some of the lines that, that I shared here. Mm. Um, Listen to your heart. I thought Jason was telling me, don't be afraid to answer the dreams you find there. Ignore the whispers that say you can't, you won't, or you're not good enough. I thought Jason was telling me, find heart within yourself. No one else can find it there but you. Uh, Look into the mirror and like what you see. Value what you see because you matter. And take all of your dreams and write them down. These are your goals. Go ahead and don't be afraid to dream. And when students shared theirs, they were sharing similar kinds of things. It was the power of words. Now, now Jason Reynolds is a beautiful poet, a wonderful writer. Mm. But what we do right away to build community is I've thrown away icebreakers years ago. Mm. Because there's always something that seems off or fake about icebreakers to me. Um, And if we can just engage with the words and just be in the art and let it surround us and let it just be a part of who we are as people in that particular classroom, we can learn an awful lot about each other. Mm. Then what we did, next thing we did, is we went down uh, to the football field and I asked students to stand on the uh, yard line of their age. And I oh. the yard line of my age, too, because there we can kind of visualize a little better our past, our present, and our future. Mm. Okay, we can see where we've come from, where we are currently, and maybe the goal, you know, 100 yards, 100 years is pretty close, I guess. Maybe we can get there, but it gives us a visual of what that might be like. And so while we're out there, I asked them to think about their literacy roots. What are the things that got them here as readers and writers? Who are the people? What are the places? What are the books? What are the things that you've done? And then what are your branches? What are you reaching out for? What are you hoping to stretch toward as far as being a reader and a writer? Um, And we wrote for 30 minutes. For 30 minutes, we just wrote. And um, that's eventually going to be turned into a blog post where kids write about their experiences and they create their own goals goals they have for themselves and um and next week we're going to work on something called uh, comments as a genre and we're going to learn to comment on each other's pieces i mm. learned more about my students by commenting on their work and with their words and we learn more about each other right there we can do it from day one and it doesn't have to be in my mind gimmicky it doesn't have mm. to be something where it feels like you're playing some kind of a game we're just we are we are using language. We're using words. We're using writing. We're uh, showing and modeling vulnerability, which I think is important, mm-hmm. especially if you're going to write anything worth anything. Yes. Um, and we talk about those things. And you know, part of a community, I think, is recognizing that you have similarities. Sometimes those things that you think and you do or those experiences you've had with literacy, you might feel like you're the only one. Mm. When you find out that you're not, you start to build community pretty quickly. Yeah, I think that that is, that is so powerful. I mean, the one, you, you started off with, with Jason Reynolds' poem, so it gave an, a shared experience for them. And I love that you started them off with the snaps because 
one, like you said, it's not something that maybe they're used to in other classes. So that sort of novelty of that, but also I think you're, you're setting them up for, I assume they snapped perhaps maybe for each other as they were reading, reading, you know, their connections that they made with that poem and what they took away from it. Um, so I can, I mean, I can imagine this classroom, um, of, of kids really all being in the say sh- in the same shared moment. Um, and I love what you're saying about sort of building this authentic community that it's not, um, it's, it's not this sort of, like you said, an icebreaker game, but it is, we are about to work together. We're all, we're all writers in this space and we, you know, have to be vulnerable with each other. Um, and sort of day one, you're, you're modeling by sharing your work with them, um, this idea of being vulnerable. Um, I think I was, I was telling you earlier that you sent me down this, this sort of rabbit hole of really looking at Jason's Reynolds work. And I, I mean that in a, in a, a very good way. Um, and I was watching one of his, his talks and it, and he was saying like, one of the reasons that um, people connect with his work is because he listens to um, the, the students, to the kids who are um, reading his work, and he 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 represents them in his work because he's listened to them, and he's also shared bits of himself. He said, "You know, people don't feel comfortable sharing bits of themselves with you unless you take that risk as well." Yeah, it can't it can't happen. I don't think it can happen. I mean, I think that's why it's so important to be a teacher writer. You know to to practice what it is that you're you're teaching, and I know that sounds sort of strange, but like if you were to get a personal trainer, for example, wouldn't you want a personal trainer who's like doing similar things you are <laughs> like they're not just right. telling you what you should do, they're actually doing those things that you should do too. you know I think we need to do this as teachers, especially in our disciplines and and not just in in the classroom but in our lives mm. So you talk about in your book um, that you co-wrote with um, Troy Hicks called Creating Confident Writers. Um, you talk about sort of um, sort of three phases, but one of them is about inviting students to write. Um, so how do you invite students to write? It sounds like you, you sort of shared one way with us, um, but why is it important to, to invite students to be writers? I think the invitation uh, comes in with that real definition of this isn't one of those practices where you can say it's a voluntary workout, but the coach really is thinking you should be there. <laughs> it's <just> an invitation <laughs> where if you, if you choose not to do it, then it's not going to, you know, no harm, no foul. Um, right. It's not a graded type of a thing. Um, I think that when you watch and you're in an experience and you invite people in and you show that, that you're, you're doing it too, this isn't just for me. It's, it's, it's for everyone that, it's hard to be the person who's sitting back and just choosing to do nothing. Mm. Yeah. I think, I think it's hard to do that. So eventually for some kids who choose to do that, um, they start to come around and then they begin to see what they write has value. And I look for, I look for that value in there. I try not to, um, I try not to mold it to what I want as much as first getting, helping them to find the courage within them to see and say that, that they're writers. Cause it's, that is a, that is a title. Most people don't really want to claim for their own. Yeah. 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 Um, invitations come in lots of different ways, I guess, in class too, you know, a lot of, uh, we're going to be working on a project coming up here uh, pretty soon. 
and there's lots of choice in the project. But um, I also want students to write a proposal for why, why they want that. So it's not just an invitation to you know pick one of these things and go for mm -hmm. it. I want you to pick one, but I want you to be intellectually invested in it. I want you to explain your why. And I tell students if your why is just to get an A, that's not the right reason to do it. <laughs> yes. You know, if if your why is because I want to be invested in this particular idea, you're going to get the A anyway. Yeah. Because, because you're not working against your own interests. You're working in, in line with your own interests. And, Do you find that, um, and, and you tend, you have, I assume you have juniors and seniors. Well, you also have some freshmen, but that said, they've had schooling for a long period of time. Do you find that it is difficult or do you find it to be a hurdle to convince students that you're truly inviting them into, to the work? And, um, I'll just stop there. <laughs> uh, for some kids it can be, I mean, you know, because there's a trust issue, right? I, I think mm -hmm. sometimes if you haven't, if you haven't experienced something, and it seems so new and out of the ordinary, then you feel like you might be getting set up to be duped in some kind of a way. You know, I think mm -hmm. some students can feel that way. Uh, I'm not really going to write, you know, I really don't read, and he's going to try to trick me into doing this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's not a trick if it's something you want to do. You know, so if if I if I continue to try to work with kids, you know, this one girl said to me even just yesterday, she said, I don't read. And I said, I don't believe you. And she said, <laughs> why, why would you say you don't believe me? I said, because I've seen you on Snapchat all hour. You're not just looking ah. at pictures. You're reading. <laughs> we have to stretch our notion what a text is. You're thinking reading books, like paper yeah. books with thick chapters and you know, lots of words. Yeah, that's reading. But reading can be lots of different things. I know you read and I know you enjoy reading. You know, so inviting the ways we think about Stretching notion of text, stretching notion of writing, stretching notion of what counts. Um, mm -hmm. I tell kids right off the bat, one of the first, one of the first things we're going to do is we're going to get rid of that five paragraph essay. Ah, they're probably hearing. And that scares people. <laughs> mm -hmm. That's all they've been taught. That's all they kind of know in lots of cases. And yeah, um, you know, they, they might know how have to the do... formula down, but do they do mm -hmm. they really understand why they're writing? I don't think they yeah. do. Well, and I think that's key. You, you've kind of mentioned this idea of, of, of knowing your why. Um, we actually talked about in the, just the last episode of Design Lessons about kind of knowing your why, like revisiting your teaching philosophy. And, and as a result of knowing your why, you're able to um, say yes to those things that really align with that and say no to things that don't. Um, and I think if kids understand why they are doing something and that why as you're saying in this proposal comes from them, then that writing or that project or that assignment now becomes more authentic in the sense that it, they are driving it. I mean, even though you shaped it um, so that they are learning something, it by adding this proposal aspect, I think it helps them to own it. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I share with kids one of my big whys right away. You know, I, I, I tell them, yeah, we have a curriculum to follow, and I get that. But the thing is, is um, I'm not invested in the curriculum. I'm invested in you. Uh. And being invested in you means who should I be responsive to? 
Should I force us down the path to make sure that we do the meat grinder called the curriculum? Or should I be responsive to you and make the curriculum fit our needs? That's what I'm going to do. You know, so that way when I'm responsive to kids, not only am I creating space for them, I'm giving them the space and time to think, because that's all writers really need. If, we, if writers mm-hmm. had time and space, we'd be in good shape. Yes. And, and to think... To think that they can do it just off on their own, as a writer, I know I can be distracted enough, and it's hard for me unless I have very specific times that I know there's nothing to do but write, mm. that I can get it done. So how do you provide that time for students? We do that in class. So, you know, pretty common technique when it comes to reading, let's say, is people will have, oh, it has a lot of different names, um, drop everything and read, silent, sustained reading. Um, any type of independent choice reading. Um, I just call it independent reading in my class. Um, on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, we have independent reading. And then on Tuesday and Thursday, I should say for 15 minutes. Okay. And then Tuesday and Thursday, we have independent writing where mm-hmm. I offer a prompt for students to write to. And we often use poetry because it's short, small. There can be rules. There don't have to be rules. Um, and then in, in that poem, in that write, tell students, I don't care what you write, I just care that you write, and that you're writing creatively, and you're telling your own truth. That's all mm-hmm. I care. Once every six weeks, that writing starts to build up. And at the end of six weeks, they have quite a, quite a few words to choose from. And then they mm-hmm. choose which one piece they want to revise, edit, get looking polished up and publishable, and then they submit that as uh, part of their um, blog folio work. I love that. Mm. Well, tell us more about the, the um, blog folio. I know that you um, do reflective portfolios with your kids. You know, why is that important? For me, it originally came out of a desire not to give pre-tests and post-tests. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> we were told eight to 10 years ago, whatever, in Michigan, that we had to have pre-tests and post-tests because we have to demonstrate growth, right? We have to show, yeah. we have to show that our kids are growing. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I actually think that's a, a great idea. But I don't, the idea of getting a pre-test and post-test didn't make a whole lot of sense to me, um, especially if we're talking about English class. Um, yeah. Because I don't think, I don't think you get better with literacy by filling out multiple choice questions. So what I chose to do is I chose to spend some time thinking about reflection and create a, I call it, borrowing from George Kiros, um, blog folio, which is basically we're using a blog platform. I use mm-hmm. edgy blogs in my classroom and um, we work on our first post. Our very first post is a reflective blog. I'm taking advantage of what Henshin Dai calls the fresh start effect. Uh, whenever we try something new or it feels new, we're kind of excited, right? The honeymoon period, the beginning of, of uh, school with our students, and they're kind of listening. There's not really any problems yet, you know, but it, you know, it might come. Um, take advantage of that. They write about that. And then um, during their independent reading, at the end of six weeks, I have what I call a open writing workshop where I ask them to write a blog post based on their reading goals and whether they're meeting their reading goals or not and talking about the books that they like and the the, the, word, the beautiful words that come out of those books that they like, um, mm. taking self-snapped pictures of them with their books because I want to see themselves as readers with books. Oh, um, and then we have that choose a piece of writing 
they reflect on that. Now, not only do they submit um, a piece of writing, it has a summative high-definition image that goes with it, um, mm -hmm. borrowed from Amy Ludwig Vanderwater's uh, poems. Our teacher's book has words from the author, which talks about the inspiration for that piece, and then borrowed mm -hmm. from Jeff Anderson's book, um, they have to share a revision decision one significant revision that they made and why they made that decision and how they think it made the piece better. So mm -hmm. that becomes a nice reflective piece. But what are we really reflecting on in there? Whether it's in the reading or in this, we're reflecting on ourselves and our identities as readers and writers and, and thinking about process. Mm -hmm. um, and then the last reflective piece is as we do uh, project-based learning exercise, I'll do something uh, called growth territories where I give students just about 20 different bullet points of a bunch of little tiny things that we that we have done in class. Mm -hmm. They are going to pick and choose three of them that they feel like they have grown in, in small or significant ways. It doesn't have to be an epiphany kind of an, a, a growth. And mm -hmm. so they, they talk about that and they write about those things and they align them to different standards and benchmarks, which then I don't have to do the aligning. They're doing the mm -hmm. aligning, which then gives credibility to what we're doing in class. All those things come together, the end of a trimester, which in our case is 12 weeks, and mm -hmm. they, they look back into their blog folio, they literally see their growth as they go, and then yeah. they write about the processes, processes and the growth they've experienced um, in a 750-word writing piece for their final exam. Wow, I love that. I, I think because it very authentically shows uh, kids are able to think about their learning over time in a very authentic way. And, in, um, yeah, I did something similar to that with, um, a professional development, um, kept a, it was a professional development series that we did for middle school teachers and similarly for a graduate school, uh, credit. And so as a result, they needed, um, we, we did a reflective uh, blog, blogs along the way, you know, for each sort of component. And it was about reflecting, if we were talking about mini lessons, it was about reflecting about, you know, how a mini lesson went and where you might go and, and, and so on and so forth. So mm -hmm. this idea of reflective portfolios are so important, I think, for kids. I love how you've described how they're kind of building it over time and then they get to look back, you know, in 12 weeks and truly see how they've grown in so many different ways. And I just want to add, too, that the reflective portfolios are a little bit different than traditional portfolios because, mm -hmm. in my mind, it's more focusing on the process of reading mm -hmm. and writing versus just these shiny pro shiny products of reading and writing. Yeah. And the products are good, too, but, I mean, you could probably – I think you would probably agree, Michelle, that I learn a whole lot more as a reader and a writer – um, when I reflect on what it is that I'm doing and what I'm trying to achieve. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I love, yeah, I have, the, the thinking that goes into reflecting about your growth over time, I think is much more valuable than, as you were saying, so there's those, um, I forget what they're called. They're like show portfolios versus like mm -hmm. reflective portfolios. Mm -hmm. Um Wow. So that sounds like you were saying that out of, they do a lots and lots of writing um, almost every day or every other day. Um, but they, they choose one piece that they move toward revision. So how do you help them um, go through that revision process? Um, well, I do that in a number of different ways. First of all, I'll show them a piece that I'm working on in process. 
uh, for my own professional life. And um, mm -hmm. that might be, a, might be a presentation. It might be a piece of writing. But I kind of show mm -hmm. them what I'm doing and how mm -hmm. I'm making decisions, especially with you know, the poems that I share in class too. Um, and then we get to talk writer to writer about the decisions. And then I ask them too, like, is this working? Is this word something that's going to work well? Should the enjambment be here? Should it come later? I'm not sure. Mm -hmm. I was thinking about having the stanza work like this. You know, I'm talking about poetry. We could talk about, you know, any, any form of writing, argumentative, narrative, uh, descriptive, yeah. whatever we want. But then when we're doing that, when I work with their writing, I ask them too, what are you trying to do with this piece? Like, mm -hmm. like what, do you, what do you want to happen? And sometimes kids will say, well, I want to get an A. And I say, well, <laughs> cool. So to get an A, you need to get in touch with what you really want to do. <laughs> so yeah. so what, is it, what is it you're trying to say? And if a kid doesn't quite know, then we work through some processes of, all right, cool. I get stuck sometimes, too, when I'm not sure what to say. Have you tried this? And maybe I tell them sometimes I need to sit down and go back to brainstorming because the words just aren't coming. So we'll take mm -hmm. out a piece of paper and we'll, I like to draw sometimes or sketch note and try to do that. And I'll do that with students and I'll ask them, sometimes I'll say, just tell me some of the things you want to say in this piece. And I'm just going to write. So as they mm -hmm. tell me, I'm recording, writing down what they're saying. And I start to you know, put it in different spots that might look like, uh, it might look like different categories or sections or subsections. And I'll say, this is what I'm hearing from you. Is this, mm -hmm. Does this sound like what it is that you want to do? And they're like, that's like exactly what I want to do. And I said, well, yeah. cool. Now you have some kind of a structure and now you have some kind of an order. And oh yeah, by the way, did you notice that this is going to be not five paragraphs? Uh, right. right? <laughs> yeah. And it's certainly and not going to have a thesis statement that says what's coming up in each body paragraph. In each section of the, yes, right. exactly. It feels real. And, and sometimes kids need a scribe. They need, just like when you talk, you're writing over with someone, it helps for someone to be taking notes while you're having that conversation. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. So that makes absolute sense. So they've done tons of writing over the course of the semester, over the course of tr the trimester. Um, what are ways that you encourage students to sort of write for, you know, they've gotten in touch with their why. Um, how do you encourage students to write for an audience that is not you? Well, we start, we start with each other. Um, mm. Every Friday. So I said, I had mentioned earlier that I do a poem every single day. Typically, mm -hmm. on Monday, we have a video spoken word poem, not unlike the Jason Reynolds poem. Then I usually work through poetry anthologies, regular books that I have for uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. Um, I read through uh, Mary Oliver's Devotions uh, most recently. Mm -hmm. And then on Friday, Friday is a real special day <laughs> because <laughs> Friday is Featured Poet Friday. Oh. And every Friday after the first six weeks of class, when students submit their pieces, there are some pieces that are just gorgeous and they mm. can't be left in some digital space. They can't be lot left locked up on a page somewhere. They have to be mm. shared out. And so mm. when I see some of these, I'll write some of these down and um, I curate them in my, I have a livewrite.edublogs.org uh, web space where uh -huh. I curate all students' work that have been invited to. These are all used with student permission and parent permission. Um, and I say, hey, Michelle, come here for a second. And you come over, <laughs> you bring your work. Did you write this? 
<laughs> and oh, yeah, I did. No, did you do you read this? Do you hear what you're saying? I want just listen for this minute, and I'll read a portion of what you're saying. So, do you hear the way the words are coming together? Do you do you hear the beautiful voice that you've crafted in there? The topic that you're that you're dealing with. I'm going to share one a poem that a student has given me permission. It's in that creating confident writers actually. If you don't mind listening to a poem, oh, I'd love to. Yeah. Um, this is by a student who, by the way, told me that she uh, is, she was an AP lit, but she also told me she hadn't read a book in six years. She also wow. told me that she um, hates to write and that she was going into the Marines, so she didn't need to do any writing. Okay? Hmm. Um, this is one of my favorite students. She wrote a poem it's titled Everything But Us. They love our head wraps. The way the do-rags, elegant curls and prints curve and caress their way around our hair. They love our hair. The way our kinks, curls, and coils frame our elegant faces with such pride. They love our faces. The way the chocolate melts into our eyes and drips down along our arms and stomachs. They love our food. The way the lingering taste of Creole and soul food makes their skin seize with satisfaction. They love our skin. Sun-kissed is never the right word, they say. Infatuated with how the melanin encases our muscles and tendons and smiles. They love the sound of us, the way our words and notes curl around the saxophones and double bass. So why is it that these people who claim to love everything about us seem to love everything about us but us. Oh, wow. Kennedy needs some snaps on that. That's that is absolutely, I, that is so powerful. And so wait till you hear her words from the author. Wait till you hear her inspiration for the piece because this is pretty interesting too. It is, but, can I stop you for yeah, like a you second? May, you may. I'm sorry. It, that is just so, it's just so beautiful. Like, She's a beautiful writer. How are you going to keep that locked up? Yeah. That, <laughs> how, how are you not going to tell a kid? Oh, that, my God. That their writing is gorgeous. I didn't yes. picture that, Michelle. Wow. What I did that, is I, I invited the opportunity for her to write what she wanted to write. Yeah. The, and the, it's just the, the feeling that is there. And, but then also the structure, you know, like if, if you're listening to it as someone who's listening, right. And, and reading, and it's such a powerful, powerful work and powerful poem. And then, you know, you know, the, 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 the writer in me, right. The one who wants yeah. to go back and look at how it's put together is like, wow, the structure is really phenomenal as well. Wow. Thank you. And it's interesting. Because this wasn't after a mini lesson on structure. This wasn't, mm -hmm. this wasn't after a mini lesson of how to write a poem. When she had written it and we were talking about revision, and she said mm -hmm. she wasn't sure what to do with it. And I just said, well, you know, I talked to her about enjambment a little bit. And I just said, how do you read it out loud yourself? Where, where do you want the pauses to naturally happen? And mm -hmm. just do that. We don't need to overcomplicate poetry. I think people overcomplicate poetry just too much. You know, so yeah, um, yeah, she's she's pretty amazing. She did, did go into the Marines, and she's doing a wonderful job too, and serving our country proudly. That's for sure. She still keeps yeah. in touch with me, which is nice. 
That is nice. That is nice. I think that's an important part with this invitation idea too, is that, um, you know, what's the statement? I'm going to say it wrong, but people don't remember uh, what Uh, we do, but remember how we make them feel. Make them feel. Yes. Yes, absolutely. You were going to tell us about um, her author's letter. Oh, so, um, so we'll do things like this. I'll invite students, like I invited Kennedy, to be our featured poet Friday, to be our featured poet. Mm-hmm. So um, then I, in those invitations, they can speak, they can read the poem. I told students today that I, w- I would prefer that we get to hear the voice of the author because that's kind of great. But I also understand, too, that that can be nerve-wracking. And I would be I'm happy to you know, accommodate and give it my best shot. But... <laughs> but I really like to be able to hear their voice and you know it's nerve-wracking speaking in front of your peers right I mean yeah. we're talking poetry like no one likes poetry even though we all love poetry because we listen to music right yes. um, yeah. so we begin to invite those ways um, a little bit and then it, I kind of try to expand that out as, as we go um, by the end of the year I've been fortunate enough with um, um, an art collective in Mount Pleasant Michigan where I'm from mm-hmm. and get together and we'll, we'll kind of pull together, I don't know, five, I'm sorry, 15 to 20 different poems that students have done through the year. And we just mm-hmm. try to get together, just kind of like a, a coffee social, you know, get together for an hour and um, invite students again to read read their works. And, you know, a lot of it's just uh, parents and relatives showing up. But, you know, the thing is, is we've taken kids who didn't think, who thought their words only mattered in five paragraph essay with an A, and we've moved them to mm-hmm. think their words really do matter and they have value and they can be and their words can contribute um, to society in lots of different ways including just pure joy which is a great place to be well it kind of brings us back full circle where you're you know when you talk to your kids and you say i'm invested in you mm-hmm. i mean just hearing someone tell you that must already give you kind of a shift you know your students must automatically shift right now like okay here's someone who's looking out for me and then you continue to demonstrate it by sharing your own work but really caring deeply about the work that that they're doing and and also about them right showing them that they matter um yeah that's pretty amazing so I was curious um, about your own writing process. Um, you said you recently came out with a book creating confident writers um, like how did you go about doing that? <laughs> what, are the, what are the steps you took um, then to publish your own work? My gosh, there's, there's so many steps. I think, I think the biggest step that I took, and this is probably going to sound weird, but the biggest mm-hmm. step that I took was uh, trying to tamp down that judge that is probably in all of our minds that tells us we mm-hmm. can't do it um, because that that's hard to overcome sometimes you know there's a whole lot yeah. of doubt you think about your audience you wonder if maybe i don't have anything valuable to say stephen king even has this kind of a judge he he uh, labels him as a cigar chomping you know mustachioed <laughs> beast that just kind of you know hangs over his shoulder and whispers into his ear he can never do it again you know mm-hmm. um we all have that whatever however that might be but but just to be able to do that i think helped a lot and then the other process is kind of all over the map. You know, we're, we're taught, like, you start with brainstorming, and then you write a rough draft, and then you revise X amount of times, and then you publish. And 
that's not been my experience at all. It's kind of been <laughs> all around and follow, follow different paths. And, and um, I think finding or stealing away moments where I can write. I have a five-year-old daughter. She was three and a half when I was writing this. So yeah. there's a lot of tugs on my attention anyway. And making, you know, you know, I'm making space for reading and writing in the classes. Yeah. We can do that. That's yes. a big part of my process. I have to find ways to make space in my life for writing. And sometimes when writing is really hard for me, because I, I know I'm on the precipice of something, but I know mm -hmm. it's a big mountain to climb because I know if I start it, there's a lot of things that are going to happen. Mm -hmm. I have to I have to create spaces for myself to do that writing and just, just push myself forward. It usually works out pretty well in the end. It always has for whatever reason. But mm -hmm. that can be a stopping point for a lot of people. Um, mm. And maybe that time doesn't have to be perfect. It sounds like you had a lot of different things going on that you just have to be like, all right, this is going to be the time. And there might be a lot of things going on, but I've got to commit to the consistency of taking that time. Trying to do a little bit every day. I think I think if I, if I would say my process, and there's a whole lot of things you could talk about the process, but just trying to get words on the page every single day because mm – -hmm. Uh, a writing momentum is important for me because it's sort of like uh, I talk about exercise a lot. You know, once you start exercising, like for me, I know mm -hmm. I don't want to stop because if I stop, I know I'm going to get out of the habit of it. And then it's hard again. You know, it's hard to get start up again. I think writing yeah. is like that for me, too. So I need to find ways to create that writing momentum for myself. And um, being part of uh, writing groups help, helps me an awful lot, too. Um, I'm part mm -hmm. of uh, two online writing groups that I go to every single week. One is through uh, Teach Write that I'm mm -hmm. with uh, Jennifer Lafine and, and you, so you get to see each other right there. But that's, yeah. that's helpful because that gives me that space, right? Do I always get all the writing that I want to get done? I don't, but I get words on the page, and that's all that really matters. And then the other writing group helps me do the same, same type of thing. So Very I don't know cool. if I answered your question really well, Michelle. Process is such a large... <laughs> It is, and it's so different for everybody. And so, but I think that's helpful for people who, who want to write because, you know, we talk about our three design touchstones, mindset and relationships, real world opportunities and critical and creative thinking. Mm -hmm. um, and I think we touched upon all of those things in the way that you teach your students and that you, in the way that you interact with them as a writer. Um, and um I think I lost my own thought, but <laughs> my question is, um, do you um, know any other educators that you would, that you admire, that you seem that embody either one or all of these touchstones? Hmm. Well, um, gosh, uh, Dr. Troy Hicks has been a mentor of mine for a really long time. Uh, Jennifer mm -hmm. Lafine from Teach Right, Michelle Hazeltine, Leanne yep. Eck. I could name almost everybody, Michelle Schmidt Moore. I could <laughs> name a lot of people, right, who have impacted me. I think as far as poetry is concerned, um, Tom Romano gets the credit for that because I saw mm. him speak, and he said that I always like to begin with a poem, and he did it in kind of a – he seemed nervous. But when his words filled the room, it was magic. And I thought, wow. I want to do that. How do I do that? You know, I got yeah. a spoken word poet. How do I do that? And I – you just had to start. Um, I think of, I think of Penny Kittle. I think of Kelly Gallagher. I think of, um, yeah, Sarah Donovan. I'm, I mean, I could, I could name 
uh, Angela Stockman. <laughs> you know, I can, I can <laughs> go down a, yeah. a whole whole list of names. And I think the reason why I can go down a whole list of names like that is because mm-hmm. I'm not just sitting back and reading the work from these people, but I yeah. and I talk about this a little bit in the book too. I've decided mm-hmm. to invest my social media in connecting, not necessarily in communication, but seeing what other people are doing all the time and trying to understand their processes, just like you talked about. And I yeah. see it in Facebook too. And so once I started filling my social media up with that, then I began looking for opportunities for, to be able to hear them more, see them more. And my gosh, I got brave enough. Jennifer yeah. was such a huge, such a huge fan of Jennifer's work. And I'm like, Hey, I know you don't know me, but, uh, uh, maybe maybe we'd like to do a presentation with me. And my gosh, she she said yes, you know. So, oh, that's great. And that was a big. It felt like a big risk, you know. But to take yeah. these to take these risks have been something that's really helped me meet a whole lot of people. And yeah, and that's not just about meeting people, but it's about finding these mentors and finding these these people that are there. F- for you, but they're there for you because they're there for kids, you know, yeah. it ultimately mm-hmm. comes down to, in this case, it ultimately always comes down to the students and what we can do for ourselves to help our students. Um, you know, just so many mentors, but i just so blessed to be able to say that I have so many mentors too. Oh, I love that. I really do. I, I am similar to you in the sense that it takes a lot for me to kind of, um, only cause I'm introverted. Right. So, um, and I mean that only in the sense that I get my energy from, from, from quiet time. Um, but yeah, taking those risks to reach out to people. Um, and, uh, I think it's one thing I like about the podcast because it gives me a reason <laughs> to reach out. Um, and I'm so, so happy that you said yes. I did a little dance when you said yes and that you went on. And I'm so happy that you did because I think we've learned so much from the work that you do with your kids. Um, if people want to connect with you and hang out with you, um, where can they find you? Um, well, I'm, right now I'm, I'm in TeachWrite, so if you want to write with me, I'm in TeachWrite on Tuesday nights typically, so I would say go on Facebook and look at TeachWrite there. That's a good place. You can join Michelle too, which is great. Um, mm-hmm. I also have, uh, if you just look up Andy Shinborn on Facebook, you'll see me in there. Um, my Twitter handle is at A Shinborn, spelled A-S-C-H-O-E-N-B-O-R-N. You can find me on there, and I'm on Instagram as well. Um, just a Shinborn on Instagram. So those are the three primary places you can find me. Um, I have a website. It's not as fancy as some others, but it's uh, andrewshinborn.weebly.com. If you want to learn more from Andy, there's a link to his book, Creating Confident Writers, in the show notes, as well as all of the rest of his contact information. Until next time, designers. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. Explore more podcasts at www.teachbetterpodcastnetwork.com. We will see you on the next episode.